Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Greg Pollard of Where It Went Podcast, Something To Do Podcast, and also the bands One Up and previously Easy Creatures. We talk today about a personal favorite of ours, Joshua Tree by U2. We talk about defending the album from haters and how much of an impact the band had on mid-80s hardcore punk. If you hadn't gotten around to it yet, please check out our new Patreon at patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Alright, on to this week's episode. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hey Greg, how's it been going? What's up, Josh? Uh, so, like, we're we're kicking into my least favorite time of the year, winter time. Uh-huh. Um, but then I'm thinking because of the current situation that we're in, this winter probably won't be that bad because there's not going to really be anything else to do. Yeah, you might be inside for a lot of it, so you know, can't hate it too much. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not so bad where we well say that but it's uh i'm in a hoodie in my house and that's not like normal for me um but yeah it's been it's been pretty chilly i mean under 30 this time of the year i mean it was like 29 last night in charlotte north carolina where i live and you know that doesn't feel normal to me or maybe i just have a bad memory but yeah uh but yeah Yeah, here outside philly it's 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 (laughs) it can get cold like but you know, then Christmas Eve, I think was like 60 degrees or whatever. Um, you know, I just, I, I, I'm not, I don't do well with the cold, but at the same time, I feel like I've sort of come into it like more like in previous years, I was just so miserable in the winter, but I think now that because I'm working remotely, so I don't have to, you know, get up and get out of the house early. Um, the cold doesn't bother me as much. And like, sometimes now it's almost nice to like, get outside and you know take a big breath of cold air and you know know that yeah. i'm going to be stuck inside yeah well today uh we are talking about the u2 album joshua tree from 1987 and it is their fifth album produced by brian eno and flood uh engineered it um uh, so yeah when was the first time you remember listening to this record or when did you come around to you two as a whole late for me i think because like i was so the first band that i ever got into on my own that's still my all-time favorite band is rem and then that sort of led to like nirvana 
And then, you know, cause you figure when Nevermind came out, I was 10 and that was like when I had REM and, you know, got into Nirvana and started to get into like, I kind of knew what my musical path was. I was like, this is what I like this all alternative or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. And, um, you know, then later in high school, got into the Smiths and the cure. And I think it was, so you two, you know, I, everybody knows you two songs. Mm-hmm. They're all over the radio, especially back then. And I think what legitimized it for me was there was two things where I was like, all right, I'm going to kind of like dig into you two. One was I love rage against the machine mm-hmm. and they were going to uh, tour with you um, two on the pop tour. So this was like 97. And I was like, that's weird. And then I heard, I saw an interview with Tom Morello and he talked about the unforgettable fire record and how like, pivotal that was for him so that kind of put that record in my consciousness and then um h2o you know the band h2o they had their i think the second album thicker than water which at the time came out i love that record the inside said like thanks to you two and the mighty mighty boss tones for guiding light and inspiration so they put out a hit cd uh when i was a senior in high school it was like best of 80 to 90 and i was like i'll buy that and right after like listening through that i was like all right now i need the albums and i think i like went back and bought joshua tree and unforgettable fire and then you know ended up buying the whole catalog uh because like one of the things i think with you too is like there's a lot of people who stop after there's some people there's so many different you two like types of fans there's the ones that like stop after war like because it's almost with you two it almost seemed like every three records they would have this drastic change right yeah so like boy october war they have this like post-punk kind of vibe um you know you can see each one kind of coming as it as it goes and then unforgettable fire was way different there's people that i think weren't into that like more uh what would be like i I don't know the right word like the just like more ether uh atmospheric Uh, yeah probably be a word that's like thrown around a lot for that um yeah i feel like now i mean i'm not i don't feel like i need to look up like what songs are on it but always like try and think i'm like i feel like i've heard that record but i'm like struggling to remember what's on that album unforgettable fire yeah uh so it has my favorite u2 song pride which like yeah i know it's a hit yeah but i just think that's like to me that song is the perfect like encapsulation of their sound and spirit um it also has the song unforgettable fire which is like a hit and the song bad which the version from live aid is like just incredible um but you know then there's there's people that stop after joshua tree like they're like all right i like them up to joshua tree i don't care about rattle and hum which you know i don't necessarily consider rattle and hum is an album but it isn't because it's got like all this other stuff yeah i was kind of reviewing that today i feel like i'm probably in the camp of uh stop after joshua tree um i do think that they do have good songs after that because i mean there's plenty of you could probably name like that is a good song 
um, they're, they're such a divisive band in a weird way. I mean, it feels strange. Like when I feel like I need to defend them, cause it's like, it's like, they don't know that I exist. You know, <laughs> they might as well be like God or something, you know, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, but it's like, I do feel, find myself defending you too, to people. Like, I'm like, you need to revisit at least Joshua tree, you know? Uh, yeah, no, because, same. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it is a perfect record. Like, but I think it's kind of like hard to take them out of context of almost like the caricatures that they've even cultivated themselves. Like, it's like just the omnipresent Bono, the way he looks, and they have a guitarist named The Edge. Yeah, with that, so it wears a little hat. and Yeah, and even because I'm like, when did they do that? But then I was watching the Live Aid video before we were talking, and I'm like, they've been doing this to themselves before Joshua Tree. It's like, yeah. They are, they are almost like a Spinal Tap version, you know, of like a post-punkish kind of band. But it's like, but given all of that, given all of the criticisms people can have, these songs are fucking amazing. Like, it's like, you know, the Joshua Tree is an album. I think it's like, I don't know. I don't have some journalists. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, just, it's a desert island album for me. Like, yeah. if someone said, name your top five records it would be Joshua trees on there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I'm, I'm taking Joshua tree on that, on that Island. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I find like, you kind of have to defend them, but it's mainly you have to defend them to, I don't have to defend them to normal people. No, right. Because they're like, Oh yeah, you too. They're cool. But like to like punks or hardcore kids yeah. or even emo, but it's just funny. Cause I'm like, yo, all these bands that you love, like, they were influenced by you too like sunday day real estate they were hugely influenced by you too um that's confirmed you know jeremy yeah. enoch huge fan of you too especially like unforgettable fire um i mean that was another thing i remembered you know i was into sunday day real estate since the diary record and sub pops like description of them was like it's, it said something like you two meets thin lizzie or something crazy like that <laughs> But like you can see it because they had those like riffs still. Um, Minor Threat, you know, it's well documented with uh, in our band could be your life by Michael Azarad, and they had their chapter and they talk about the band basically splitting up because those three guys, the you know Jeff, Brian, and Lyle, wanted to take the band in a more U two direction because at that point. I think war was like the big record. Yeah. And they did a band after called the 400 that had a demo. And if you've ever listened to any of that demo, it's straight up first three U2 record worship musically. Yeah. Even and, that kind of era of, um, we were talking about it off the pod, but you know, things like seven seconds even had their dalliance with, you know, U2 worship. It was such an ever present thing. Like, um dude they were like they yeah. were like the um they were like the title fight of that time like you know when title fight whom i absolutely love yeah when they started doing their thing and getting big you had a lot of bands that were like changing their sound because of title fight and like that was you too like we you know because of our age like we think they're old you know yeah. and yeah now they're like 60 but you got to think like at the time of the boy record they were 19 20 years old 
you know yeah. they were yeah, kids nothing really sounded exactly like them though it's like i don't i don't know how someone could like uh to me I, I don't know how you could really like the smiths and not like this era of you too like it's you know there's it, the presentation's different but it's like it's a lot of the same elements that you would like one or the other you know Agreed. so it's like you, this, you know you're attaching guitar, yeah you're attaching kind of player. the whole history of you too but you almost have to like take away the whole history of you too and take these records like everything even before this i guess more so war and uh really war october and boy as their own thing like you were saying those three records uh and kind of think about it in that context like you know uh but there's so much kind of like new wave-ish kind of post-punk things that they kind of fit more in line with than i think people give them credit for um and i you know but you were talking about michael azarad um as an aside when i was starting this podcast i wanted to call it our pod could be your life and i presented that to michael azarad i was like what do you think and he was like i think you could come up with a better title <laughs> and so, uh, but it is funny like how much of a touchstone it was like i even remember with uh the episode where it went did with uh gorilla biscuits i think it was gorilla biscuits uh yeah where we asked walter about i i, yeah, I had, did, had yeah. that question in my mind for years and 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 I said like you know when the, it was the guitar breaking competition I was like was that your U two moment and like he kind of looked like dude I'm busted almost yeah. and he was like yeah and then Arthur also was like I fucking love U two and he said like oh my gosh Walter I totally remember when you were writing that you said think two hearts beat as one and go listen to two hearts beat as one. And listen to the break in competition and you can totally see it yeah 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 that's i mean that when i heard that i was like i mean it's like totally was like a thing around that time but that, that that's not even where we kind of kind of came in to liking them i almost can't remember a time that i didn't like youtube but i think it was more when i was younger i think it was just you heard them all the time you know, you heard these songs just on regular rock radio. And I always were was drawn to these songs. But, you know, in a similar fashion to you, there was a point that I kind of went back and like got cassette tapes or, you know, vinyl of the records that I, you know, thought I liked. Um, and was like, confirmed, I am a believer in you too. You know, like it's, uh, it, I think sometimes people like kind of put on like anything that they influence too is almost like knocks against them um you know it's like the Coldplay kind of sounds like you too so that almost goes like a knock against them but i also think early Coldplay is very good absolutely and people don't yeah. give them credit for that either but um you know yeah, it's i lost like, track of Coldplay. yeah you know after a couple records but the first few albums um, yeah, I mean, heavily. In, in fact, I believe on some of the later ones, they worked with Brian Eno and uh, Daniel Lanois and, or Flood. or I, Yeah, Daniel Lanois worked. Well, he worked on this record. Uh, he worked on Joshua Tree. So it, it makes sense that they would work with those people. I mean, um, yeah, I, even I find myself, there's so many times at like band practice where I'm like, kind of like when we're thinking about building a song, it's like, you know, kind of give it more space. Think you too. <laughs> you know, it's still like a touchstone that I use, like, like give something more space. Like I think 
one thing that's really unique about this record is I'll just keep saying the word space, but it's, it's just to sort of like, you don't need to do everything kind of let the negative space become the song itself. Um, and there's so sometimes so little that's kind of going on that you would kind of expect. I mean, there's a lot of guitar layers, but you know, it's like, there's so many songs that are just like voice, bass and drum. Yeah. And the, the guitar is just, it's not kind of like rhythmically leading it, you know? Well, think about, think about like a song, like with or without you. I mean, yeah. it's just bass and like the little bit of guitar, like, the, you know, it's not all this crazy guitar, you know, Eddie Van Halen stuff over the bass. The, the song is, you know, built on that, the, the bass hook and the vocals and just the atmosphere in the back with, yeah. the, with the guitar that, that the edge you know, is so expert at doing that stuff. I think too, the strike against them. I mean, let's be real in, in recent times. And, and I laugh at the jokes, but as the whole free album on iTunes, yeah, like that's like the younger generation just knows them as like, they're this band that put an album in my phone without my permission. Yeah. I mean, no, it, was, like, it was pretty annoying. Like I felt like as someone who even likes you two, I, I didn't mind that record actually. You know, I love it, it. It sounds like I th- like you two to sound you know i feel like they kind of, like you were saying they have almost like time so they they have a more recent history of almost like moving back to that sound some but yeah it was like you would plug in your phone in your car or something or like if you had it like connected and you just always get you two playing and that's not if you don't want to listen to you two in that moment that is annoying so yes if you hate them <laughs> yeah you know. i was thinking that too like it would be like you know, for me, I'm like, why are people complaining? It's <laughs> but I realized, like, if somebody put an album on my phone that I didn't like, like, you know, I don't know, like Sublime or something. I don't know what you feel about them, but uh, to me, I feel like if Sublime just starts playing in my car when I get in it, I don't, I don't <laughs> right, like that. Like, I don't even feel myself like I'm a sub- Smash like, Mouth. Like yeah, if somebody like if like Smash Mouth put an album in there, I'd be like get this the hell off my phone yeah. or you you're know? like i didn't even realize i hated smash mouth but now i do <laughs> yeah you know, it's like, i think that's what happened that's too. Probably, yeah that's probably more what happened it's like i guess i hate you too now you know <laughs> so. because the way that and i think the band even admit that the way they did it wasn't the best of way and and I, you got to give credit if they can at least admit like yeah maybe that wasn't the best idea but hey they tried it and people are still talking about it over six years later um, I think that's at least a testament to their ingenuity. You yeah, know? I, th- I think they have a lot more humor than people kind of give them credit to. Like, even when I'm like watching a live video, like I was watching that live aid video, and at the end of it, as good as that performance is, at the end of it, they start doing kind of the Rolling Stones kind of uh, parts, like Goodbye Ruby Tuesday, and then they start doing like another Rolling Stones song, like as like a call and response. And I'm like, y'all that's kind of embarrassing you know but like to me personally i was just like i don't i don't like this it just seems kind of hacky but uh it's like they're somehow just like able to be like the best band at at the time and then still like equally embarrassing at points but i also think that they know they do know yeah and and it's like people don't give bono credit um people hate bono but yeah. he is much more self-aware. If you read interviews, if you see interviews with him, if you've seen the band live, he's way more self-aware than people give him credit for. Like yeah. he knows that like 
he can be grading to people. Like he made, you know, like when I saw them, he made, I can't necessarily think right now of the specific, but like he made jokes like about it on stage. <laughs> yeah. Like they know, they know that, but, but like you said, at the end of the day, anybody that's seen them, have you seen them live? I haven't. Okay. Yeah. So if you, if you see them live and I only saw them twice and it was in the past couple of years, I wanted to go for years and tickets were usually expensive or tickets sell out. So they're having the last laugh because they're filling these like giant arenas. So they don't care that, you know, Eddie hardcore kid doesn't, oh, yeah. doesn't like them or, or, you know, some old post-punk dude thinks they sucked after war. Yeah. They're, they're the ones still filling the arena and having like an entire, you know, thousands of people sing along to, to these songs. Yeah. It's like a double thing with them. Cause I think like, no, I'm not like correcting you or anything, but sometimes when I think about, uh, well, they don't care because they're feeling, uh, filling arenas, you know, it's like on one hand, I think a lot of horrible music is filling arenas, but on the other hand, you too, for a good chunk of their career, potentially longer than even Metallica was good, you know, they were equally as good. You know? yeah. So it's like both things can be true. You know, horrible bands do fill arenas, but U2 is good. You right. Like, like you know, I'm so sure, it's like, you know, this will date me because it's probably not even popular anymore. But like, I'm sure Justin Bieber can like fill an arena. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck about Justin Bieber. I wouldn't know one of his songs if, you know, it, played on the radio right now i would just assume it's horrible um <laughs> you know but like yeah you too they definitely have more of a ratio of good to less good than metallica yeah and metallica still fill arenas i fucking i love metallica yeah um but i also don't really necessarily care about anything metallica's done since arguably the 80s um i do think the black album you know because i was so young when it came out like yeah in a I way i wish i had seen some of these kind of legacy kind of bands i guess at this point um because i wonder what they play in a given thing but i think the tour you saw was uh was that like a joshua tree tour so i saw them for the first time which was like this is to me even though like i wish i would have seen them on you know uh i don't even know like zoo tv i would have been probably no not old enough so even if i wish i saw them on pop or when they had the renaissance of like all that you can't leave behind because pop was it by all respects considered like a, a a failure you know as much as a band like u2 can fail like it sold you know only whatever five million records or something and and you know it's not necessarily looked back fondly even though there's some great stuff on there like when you go back um now with hindsight but when they did all that you can't leave behind that was kind of like their comeback they reunited with i think Eno, if i'm not mistaken and you know they stuck to writing like songs that sounded like what you expect from you too so like i wish i would have seen them on that or on atomic bomb or even on the um no no line on the horizon and i didn't and then when they put out the the apple one they didn't tour Philly. They didn't play Philly. They did play New York. I should have went. I didn't. So finally this Joshua tree, I was like, all right, I've got to go. And luckily a friend of mine was able to procure floor, like general admission. Mm -hmm. So you got to keep in mind you too. Like that's a whole, like 
I took pictures with my iPhone, like at some points when they, cause they had two different stages. Like they came out at that show. So it was at Lincoln financial field, which that's where the Philadelphia Eagles play. Okay. So yeah. this shows you how big this place yeah. is. And they had a side stage that they came out on first where they played only pre Joshua tree stuff. So they did like five songs or something from, you know, the early years. And at that point, like I was as close to them as I've been at like, you know, I don't know, like a bigger hardcore show. Like I could take pictures with my phone and not have to even use zoom. Like I was that close, you know? And then they played the Joshua tree album and it was just incredible, but like a whole different vibe. Cause you're like, you felt like it didn't feel almost, it, it felt like the biggest show I've ever been to, but also like a small one at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it was incredible. And then when they came back the next year, they did, I, I went to that as well. And that was at the Wells Fargo, which that's where the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, you know, play and um is that any bigger or smaller i think it's smaller i'm bad with like sizing and all that um but they played there and that was more of a mix of stuff because they were really pushing the newest record um songs of experience Mm -hmm. which that was the one after the itunes one and i think that's also a great record um there's a song on there called red flag day that just literally sounds like it was like a war, like they left it off war. Yeah. Um, and that I got right up. So they had this like weird stage set up where they had this like walkway and then two ends. So the band would like sometimes be at the one end, they'd walk across while playing and then go to the other end. And we were like, right. Like I was up against the railing for the walkway. So again, like, I could see what like shoes the edge was wearing, like read, you know, Converse on his sneakers. Like that's how close. And that was incredible too. And, um, but like when you see them live, it's just a whole, everybody's just, the vibe is so awesome. Yeah. Even when I was looking at that live aid video um, or just thinking about like the way that they play, it's like, it's like built for arenas like every it allows itself to have space and i think like when i think about that with like uh like when anytime like i've been to fest like any of the outdoor shows or really any outdoor show you go to uh a band that ends up being like i guess we'll say mathier but not like a math rock band or anything sometimes that's hard to kind of pull off in like a big open setting so sometimes like when you're in a big setting like even a three-piece might sound really good as opposed to like a four piece um, because there's, it just allows itself to like get more room. So every, it's like the way they wrote this is just to be played in like arenas. Like everything allows itself to have space and kind of travel um, in like the best ways. Um, You know, so I I imagine, you know, it's got to sound really good because it's just tailor made that way. And it's weird because it's like the, the Joshua tree record. I love the entire thing, but it's, it's risky too because it's very top heavy you yeah. have the three the three big hits on the album are the first three tracks yeah and i think like that's i don't necessarily want to say it's like a ballsy move because i don't know you know what, what their intention was with it i'm sure there's 
tons of documentaries and books about the Joshua tree and I could probably dive in and, and learn, but um, like the second side of the record, let's say is very underrated, yeah. which is weird to say for like a record that's like massive, you know, one of the best selling albums of all time, but like side two is so good. And I was so happy to see those songs played live because there's a lot of these songs that wouldn't normally be in a set. Like my favorite U2 song on this, or my favorite song on this record is a song that I believe they didn't play live until they did the um, tour, the Joshua Tree 30, anniver- 30 year anniversary. Yeah. And what, what song? Uh, Red Hill Mining Town. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the first song on side two. Um, they, what's weird about that song too, is that it was originally slated to be the lead off single. Mm-hmm. And I believe they filmed a video for it and everything. And then I forget what the reasons were, but they scrapped it. And then the lead off was maybe where the streets have no name or, or something like that. But it's, it's got this like, you know, Springsteen kind of feel to it almost, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I absolutely just love the song and I was so happy to see it live but it was like never even in their sets or anything before that, to my knowledge, I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I feel like everyone potentially knows like the story of the album or maybe they don't. Um, It's like, it's a smart idea when you think about it too, coming out on like CD. So I think that the way that people were starting to appreciate music had started to change um, and doing a little research on it this was like one of the best selling CDs at the time that it came out. Um, and it, the way they did the track listing is kind of built for that. Yeah, I guess the thing you were saying, like it's top loaded, which is completely true. Um, so if, if people are going to be casual listeners, if they only listen to the first three tracks, it's not a bad experience, you know? Right. But you know, just like, yeah. And so I think that's like something people started thinking about more with like CDs. It's like, get them at the top. You know, and so, um, but, you know, it, it's, yeah, there's just so so much more on this album than that. It always just, it feels kind of cliche to mention, but if you kind of sit and like listen to the vinyl or just listen to it as a whole, it feels like a journey throughout America. The whole concept of the record is, I guess, like traveling through America. Right. Uh, it's very Americana. Yeah, yeah. And so when you get to a song like Red Hill Mining Town, it's like, you feel like wherever you have you know travel to let's say like the southwest which i think is like a big feeling of it then um you know it's almost like you are in the town that you travel to just like this nowhere town you know um right and so it, it like legitimately they succeeded in that feeling like it's it's kind of hard to put in words and it feels like it's been said so much and even like putting something like where the streets have no name kind of like encapsulated in a song that's just like american songbook you know it's almost like hard to do because that's also like a thing where I think people take them for granted because you almost feel like you've had these songs forever at this point. You know, it's just like if you're in church or something and people start singing like amazing grace, it's like where the streets have no name is like a modern amazing grace, you know, in in ways, you know? Yeah. Well, they always had um, that spiritual slant to it, which I love, you know, like I, um, and there's actually a book 
on their connection, like you two and spirituality, you know, it's well documented that when they, they were like, you know, uh, I don't want to say a Christian band, but I, I don't know, but like, except for the bass player, you know, there was that behind the music, like that was their biggest drama was like in the early days, like the three of them were getting into, uh, you know, Catholicism or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, Adam Clayton wasn't into it and they were, you know, thinking about like splitting up or whatever. And obviously, obviously they didn't, but there was always this undercurrent, undercurrent of spirituality and like hopefulness. Uh, that is what I love about, about them. Um, and it really comes through, I think on, on this record. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I feel like I would, it would be disingenuous if I kind of knocked them for that because of like, I mean, I was raised with so much like Christian metalcore and then, you know, I got into straight edge and then I got into like, you know, kind of, I guess, hard Christian music, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's sort of like when people just, if they just want to specifically kind of make fun of YouTube for that, it, it feels kind of like low hanging fruit yeah, like sometimes, done, you know, throw away like, your bad brains records then. Yeah. There's you tons know? of things that kind of weave it together with it i mean you know there's plenty of things you can make fun of youtube for you know or really any band you like in general you know but well, like, music music is yeah. spiritual even yeah. even if it's even if it's uh you know atheists making it in a, in general terms it's like the human spirit right it's like just someone putting out their their emotions and their feelings in in songs i mean that's you know, you could argue that songs started, music started as a way to express spirituality, probably in, in you know ancient times or whatever, right? Like, and you too, yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's like such low, low hanging fruit, because again, like Bad Brains are another one of my all time favorite groups, and they have that same undercurrent uh, of spirituality, obviously. Um, you know, even like Cro-Mags, um, you know, all this stuff yeah. has that. Yeah. We can, uh, yeah, we can uh, like shelter, you know. Yeah, like it has yeah, this, like, some, and so some much. being, yeah. some being more prominent than others. What's funny about Bad Brains is I don't, um, you know, they were supposed to tour on this tour. On? Um, on Joshua Tree. Oh, they were? They were supposed to be... open. It was, I, I, I want to say they talked about it in the HR doc or with a book or something but they were supposed to sign to island records mm -hmm. and they were supposed to open for you too on the josh on like you know i'm, I'm sure because yeah. that tour probably had hundreds of dates it would have been like you know they're on two weeks of it and then uh you know whoever else yeah if you think about that i think it's kind of like thinking about what we're really talking about it's like if you think of you two in the context of the time that makes sense you know like now for what we know you two it's like and we, kind of crazy. Put, we put bad brains in you two and like completely different things but like you two was still kind of viewed as like a post-punk band of what post-punk meant at the time not really like idols or fontaines dc but it's like post-punk was like a completely different disnomer uh, at at the time so having bad brains on a leg of the tour yeah especially because they at that point uh, it was I against I, which was, yeah. you know, a little slower at times and they had more space. I mean, a song like reignition, you know, 
uh, wouldn't have been maybe written in 1980, but like, you know, a little slower, some groove, like it would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, for yeah, sure. They probably like, could have really uh, expanded a lot of like the uh, kind of reggae side of, uh, on those kind of tours. Yeah. Cause know? Island records was like Bob Marley uh, was on Island records and um yeah, they were. I think they were. They were gonna do like a, a movie about Bob Marley, and they were talking to about having HR portray Bob Marley. Like, that's a whole other story, yeah. I guess. But yeah, they. So they. They obviously never signed to Island. Yeah. They. Um. Uh. You know, HR. I think. Had issues with whoever the president of Island was. Thought he was like a demon or something, <laughs> and uh, they didn't sign. So that's one of those great like what ifs like what if they became like you know huge like like Jane's you know what if they were like Jane's addiction or whatever you know kind of came out after that yeah it's weird like certain bands like when you watch like videos of them I mean Bad Brains being an obvious one yeah it's it's so strange it, it should just be I don't understand why they weren't Jane's Addiction or you know or even why like Fishbone wasn't where like Red Hot Chili Peppers are you know bands like that Agreed. it's like you know it's it's strange kind of like who the world picks it almost, it almost feels like uh there's just kind of record label people that are like well I don't know if this is the best band but we'll just kind of pick them and we'll work with them and make you know if we spend all our energy on them we'll make them the biggest and then kind of by that people kind of extrapolate like well that must be the best band but it's like you know bad brains is as good as gene's addiction is, yeah i love you know, Jane's it's not addiction. you know it's not consistently exist. better but I, I like gene's addiction too but it's like you know it's like I don't know. There's probably a lot you had to kind of fight against with bad brands. Yeah. Well, same <laughs> thing even with um like Living Color. Like Living Color is a great band. Yeah. But the bad brains are better. Yeah. You know, and 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 Living Color would probably tell you that. Like, like they'd be like, yeah, like you know they were influenced by, you know, that mid period era of bad brains, um, and uh, you know I, th- I want to say did did they bring. I wonder who to, I should have done research on who they did bring out on this tour. Cause I feel like living color did play dates. Like they kind of were like, well, bad brains aren't going to do it. So we'll get living color. Or maybe they played with the rolling stones or something. I forget. Yeah. Yeah. Or was, maybe both. I don't know. I was thinking about this and I think it's probably, it says more about like my place and like playing music. Um, but when I think of like tours, like you two, or who, when we're saying like who they brought out, um, I wish that it was like more visible a lot of times. Like you, you've seen like, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but it's like when a bigger band goes on tour and they get even support on the actual tour itself, sometimes it's like you struggle to figure out who's on the tour with them. Like it's not really advertised. Like, and I'm trying to just think you could really name some other kind of like a bigger band that's bringing out bands in our general scene. You know, sometimes I'm like, I didn't know that, pop was even on this tour whoever you could kind of throw into that but i think that that's honestly because people that aren't into music like we are you know yeah they don't care about who's opening so like i'll have people that like uh, friends that aren't from hardcore that'll be like oh you too they're they're coming around oh who's opening i don't know i don't care they don't care like the, the opening the opening 
band for someone like a U2 or Metallica or whatever is just a band to go get, you know, for people to go get beers or like, you know, hang out in the parking lot until the band plays. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. It sometimes, yeah. Sometimes with that, I'm like, well, if y'all don't care who they are, just put my band on the tour then, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, or whoever, <laughs> like any of our friends band, it's like, if y'all don't truly care who this is, I would, I care who these bands are, but it's like, if you don't, then like throw a bone more to like, you know, kind of middling kind of, you know, acts or whatever, you know, uh, just any band that we could sort of like name in this moment, you know, it's like, if it can be anybody, then yeah because like when i saw bands on it (laughs) when i saw youtube for the joshua tree um i god i forget the opener was not someone i was into it was like i don't even remember the name was it like lady antebellum or something i i don't remember it was like not i was not into. yeah i mean you two you two are so big that that's probably the equivalent yeah like, like they can get a band smaller, that would you know? normally headline so i guess i'm talking even smaller but yes but i guess even around this time or around the time this record came out it's like sometimes i'm like doing the research and i'm like who did they have out on tour with them it was like there was some i think it was a green day show and uh the opener was like seaweed uh and there's a specific one i saw it oh recently. there's a tour it's uh it was bad religion that's what yeah green as main support and then seaweed that's what yeah i'm thinking about it wrong but it, like it's it's well it's funny now because it's like green day would bring out bad religion i mean that's how life goes um but yeah seaweed and it's like i don't know how easy it is to really know that they were even on those shows together uh, you know like if if i went to see rolling stones like you know, it could almost be any of our friends' bands opening, you know, in a way, and it wouldn't be advertised as such. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's why I'm saying, like, I think my main point is says more about me and uh, music than, you know, but sometimes it's annoying. Like, I, well, I even went to see Carly Rae Jepsen, and, like, the opener was just, like, it felt like almost like who the label's kind of propping up at the time. Um, and I was like, I don't, is this even a real band? Like, you know, it's like, any of my friends band let's say like not even my friends but like kississippi could have just been the opener to that or something you know and that no, like, been... like a like a, a more like electronic based yeah. like indie like cool thing which i'm sure she probably has her finger on the, on the pulse because yeah. I'm, I'm actually a fan of her yeah. newer material um and you do wonder like at what point do the artists choose who they want and at what point do like does the label or whoever just say yeah this is who's torn because i don't i don't know the behind the scenes stuff of you know yeah and i um, that's that's where i think and i think my tangent kind of led me into something that you brought up um it's like it does seem like a certain personality type you know that's like i feel like i've always kind of wanted to know who the opener was you know and i don't know why that is like why do we why are we why are we that way greg is what yeah no i know but but it's but honestly it's because it's because we care and because we're like huge music fans so we care because we know the power of a good opening band because i mean i'm sure you've seen shows where you didn't know who the opener was you saw the opener and you're like holy shit and then you become a fan and then the next time they come on their own, you go, 
I mean, I can think of specific instances. I'm sure you can. Yeah. Like, have you ever been to a show where you didn't know anything about the opener and they like blew you away? Um, well, uh, we played a show with, uh, with Pyle and I didn't really listen to their opener chew. Um, and they're just, and they ended up just being like a fast hardcore band. And I didn't, I, I just didn't really do a lot of research. Um, uh, and yeah, they blew me away. Like pile was still great, but it's like, chew is something I listen to on a regular basis now. Um, you know, and it, it's cool because, you know, pile isn't that kind of band. And so, you know, even, but I even remember that, like when I'd go see like, I hate God and they would bring like, you know, a smaller kind of punk or hardcore band. Cause one of the things the drummer at the time told me, uh, when I like interviewed him for a fanzine I was doing and he was like, why would we bring bands that sound exactly like us on tour? You know, it's yeah, like, we, that's my mind. We listen too. to our, uh, we, you know, people get to hear our kind of sludgy stuff. So it's like, we're probably always going to bring a fast band or just a band that just doesn't sound like us. Cause if not, it'd just be boring. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember and, yeah. I saw um, Thursday and they had, the band year the rabbit opened that's ken andrews from failure but you know i didn't even know that like i knew of failure now i'm a huge failure fan and literally because of that like i watched their set and they blew me away and i bought the year the rabbit and then i was like oh yeah i know failure i should probably like actually really dig in and listen to them so i did um and then even in in newer times like last year when i saw the 1975 uh, this band, uh, Muna, Muna, I don't even know how to pronounce I want to say Muna, M-U-N-A. They opened up and they blew me away. I was like, this band's great. I had no yeah. idea who they were, didn't know what they sounded like. And I think within the first or second song, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I, you know, played the hell out of the album. I would definitely go see them by themselves, but that's us. But most people are just, you know, talking during it to their friends or, you know, just don't care. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of times where uh, I go see, yeah, the headliner and almost more impressed by, you know, the middle actor, you know, whatever that direct support, I guess, in bigger settings, like even in like smaller clubs, you know, and then I feel like I end up becoming more of a fan of like, you know, the smaller band in a way. Um, yeah, they, have, they have something tons. to prove almost. Yeah, I it's like the, it like when I think of the, uh, kind of like the stories that Henry Rollins would tell about like doing shows with like Iggy pop, you know, like how much like Rollins band must've been like bringing it, you know, um, it was like, a, they, 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 he phrases it like, it's like a, it was like a war every night, you know, yeah. like playing it up for uh dramatic sake. But um, just like even thinking about that, you do kind of like, you're like, Oh, we got to be at our best. while like the headliner, it's like, you know, they don't probably have as much to prove, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, one of my favorite bands too is the replacements. And you hear about the, one of the last replacements tours, uh, they had Goo Goo Dolls opening up. Now this was when Goo Goo Dolls were like in their metal blade era, like hold me up was their newest record. Um, and they would go out and just like be super loud and aggressive and fast and energetic and, you know, the replacements at that point were playing on the All Shook Down record, which is like very downbeat, acoustic. Um, so I could see there might have been people who went and were like, oh, I'm, I'm more into this, you know, the Goo Goo Dolls than 
than I am the replacements because again, they were hungry and they knew like they had something they had to prove being on tour with a bigger act. Yeah. It's, it's funny because like, as uh, you know, I've been in bands that have been around longer, you know, it's, I start getting the feeling of like, well, if we could play longer, we could like play some of these show, you know, these songs that we don't normally get to play, but it's like, you know, but I know as, you know, essentially like a smaller local act in a way, like touring act or whatnot, uh, you don't really get that. And you don't want to be that band, you know, but like if you're U2 size or even if you're replacement size, it's like people are coming to see you. So you do get, you are afforded the ability to play for longer than an hour without people, you know, throwing their shoe at you. Um, so it's a unique position to be in, which, you know, in some ways I'm like, that'd be nice. You know, you know, you don't want to do it before you're at that point, but you know, but it's, yeah, it's like Goo Goo Dolls. Then if they were only were allowed to play like 35 minutes, they're only playing like the best. They're going to pick their they best, right. Their you know? best and so, stuff. you know, with those kind of their openers, you're like, it's gotta, it's gotta kind of feel like, man, fuck you guys. <laughs> you know, cause uh, even the stories, I think uh, replacements open for like Tom Petty on like a leg. Yes, and they yeah, were, they, so they're probably the inverse of that, where it's like they're playing their thirty-five minute set, so it's got to feel, you know, kind of like ah, fuck you guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. But just now, I'm trying to think of like how to bring it back to you too or anything, but uh, you know, I, I, but I don't know a lot of stories of you two kind of being that band for other people. Like it, it just almost feels like they just kind of always were big even when they were small yeah they they came so you know boy was their first record in 1980 and i think they played small shows but even by the time of war like here in philly from what i've the research i've done you know i was only two years old when war came out but they were playing it like or maybe it was unforgettable like by unforgettable fire they were playing like the tower theater here which is like holds uh, several thousand people um, you know, it's not massive, but like, that's where like, like, uh, Morrissey played, um, Paramore played like, yeah. um, it's pretty big for, for like, you know, like hardcore bands aren't going to play at the tower. Yeah. I mean, and they probably cut their teeth kind of more locally. So it doesn't like, there has to be some point in their history where they were kind of like playing to no one or, you know, or like. You got to think they formed it in actually like 76. So yeah. they had four years where like they didn't have an album. I, I don't know when their first single came out. It might have been like 78 or 79. So they, they definitely had it, but it's just, they also, you got to keep in mind too, like they're not from this country. So yeah. like the, not that history is not going to record it, but I think like you're not necessarily going to meet people who saw them like in that stage unless they lived in ireland right yeah because like if they were from america you know you could probably talk to somebody who's 10 or 20 years older than us who'd be like yeah i saw you two play it you know if like you know whatever like cbgb or something like that like you know but that wasn't the case yeah i feel like by the time they were able to kind of like probably even like afford to tour the States or had it felt like they, yeah, they were filling big enough rooms or at least that's what the perception was. Um, 
you know, I don't know. Maybe we need to ask Bono himself. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think of, like, somebody who would have at least seen them on their first, like, I could probably ask, like, Jack Rabbit, you know, from Big Takeover magazine, like, he, you know, was around at that time, and, um, you know, for all, he may have seen them at their first U.S. show, for all I know, you know, like, because we figure it was the same thing with, like, Joy Division never played these states, you know, they were supposed to, and we all know what happened. Yeah. Um, and the New Order came over maybe even before they had the first record, I think it was, before Movement. And there's people that saw them then, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, that, there's a there's a podcast. Uh, they do like different seasons. You might have listened to the REM one, uh, the one with Scott Ackerman and Adam yeah. Scott. Um, they were talking back on the most recent season, which they they were doing uh, Talking Heads. Well, they um, originally did <laughs> Red yeah, Hot Chili Peppers. That was and, great. And then yeah. they were just like halfway through. I think they're like, oh, fuck this. We can't do this. It's like the second episode. Um, yeah. They were supposed to talk about, like, I think Freaky Styly uh, probably would be the one at that point. And they were like, yeah, uh, we're not doing this. Um, so fun. did you end up listening to the whole season of it? i didn't actually that's the one oh, okay. i only listened to the first episode and then i i never heard the rest so i didn't hear they went to talking heads though i know well funny thing i don't feel like you know how they're kind of all over the place with it but when it ends uh on the very last talking heads episode they go back to the red hot chili peppers thing because they always go in and out of their fake podcast right and then so they act like they end the talking heads and then it goes back two red hot chili peppers um at the very end and they're like well bye you know uh, but they were talking about how they met um uh, because of the u2 series season they did uh they met them and u2 and were like you know just like the meeting superstars and so it's kind of weird and standoffish but then by the second time they met them again they were just like friends and like their bass player like made them t-shirts you know because yeah of the show. And, like, <laughs> Because I, th I think they did an episode on the tour that I saw uh, the second time, the Songs of Experience, and like they like walked them around the set, and like it was like yeah, yeah, pretty neat. Like they, that's the thing, honestly. They seem like cool guys. That's my yeah, like, that's my point like, of bringing it up. Like like Bono seems like a guy where I would sit at a pub with him, and I would have a ginger ale, of course. And he could have whatever. And I would just talk to him about, you know, post-punk and, and the whole era from, you know, Ramones to Joy Division and all that. And it would be a great conversation and he would be cool. Like, I yeah. think people don't realize that. Like, you know, he was in the Pixies documentary and he was in, you know, he's done stuff for Joy Division. Like he has great taste. Um, and just, they just seem like cool guys. They seem like they're, you know, need to talk to yeah and i think kind of going back to something we were talking about earlier um you know like when i feel like people kind of condescend to them um and condescend to the idea of like religion having a place in music it's like you're really disregarding like the history of uh you know almost like music as a whole in america you know like gospel is so intrinsically linked to like soul and like r&b and you know, and then kind of obviously, you know, white people kind of stealing that from black musicians, but then kind of the conversation back yeah. and forth, um, you know, to kind of put, Agreed. I guess, a more positive spin on it. 
Um, but you know, it's like, so it's a conversation back and forth. And so it's like, they were trying to have a conversation with American music that inspired them or that they were kind of learning in the moment. And that's always been a thing like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Keith Richards was telling them like, Hey, they should kind of like look at American music pre kind of punk. Cause they, he felt like there's like a story that I think it's listed on like Wikipedia where essentially they were playing like old like Howling Wolf records that Keith Richards was and he was you know Bono was kind of like felt embarrassed that he wasn't like uh, well versed in it like he didn't know this stuff and then when he was talking to Bob Dylan yeah about like Irish records you know it's like we didn't really know this stuff existed you know Um, but I don't know if you had kind of read up on any of that well I know that like I remember I want to say it was like Lance uh lance bangs was on the is that yeah lance bangs he was on the podcast the you talking you two to me and they were talking about joshua tree and he was saying how like as a fan as a kid he was bummed out because they used to like you know cover uh like joy division and stuff and then all of a sudden they're covering like the beatles and you know he's kind of thinking like this is my parents' music. Like it was cool. You were doing joy division, but at the same time they needed to kind of branch out their influences. Right. Like mm-hmm. you said, like it is when, once you get up to the big leagues, like they were by this point, I think they realized like, yo, like there's a whole world of music out, like music, rock and roll music didn't start with the Ramones. You know what I mean? And like, I love the Ramones, but yeah that wasn't ground zero. Like there's so much before. And like you said, even with just like gospel and, and uh, you know, folk music and, you know, stuff pre like Beatles and pre Bob Dylan and, and all this. And they, I think they, this record is such a great encapsulation of all that stuff, gospel, post-punk folk music, you know, stuff like Bruce Springsteen, you know, there's those vibes. Like it's, it's a really nice, like blended mix of all that stuff. Yeah. And I know we keep, uh, I keep bringing it back to like hardcore because that's just what we're going to do. Um, but I even think about like, you know, I was, I was in a band. I was basically anyone around my age could say they were, have the same story, but we had a friend that was like, uh, would love American Nightmare and like, you know, their, his band would like cover it. And, uh, you know, but it, when it came to a point, it felt like basically his knowledge of hardcore started at American Nightmare, which I think is a lot of people's story and that's fine. Right. But I think there's certain people that almost feel like they don't want to go back. And that's never been something, you know, and I'm not even condescending to it. I, I think it's just like a weird thing to think about. You know, some people are comfortable with kind of like, this is my starting point with like American Nightmare and then everything after, you know, you know, <laughs> up into the present. Um, but it's always like, I always felt like it's like, if I like American Nightmare, I want to kind of know why they sound the way they do or like yeah. what their influences are. Yeah. Or even like when we were younger, it's like when you look at a CD booklet, it's like, who are they thinking? Because that's probably some sort of, I should also listen to those bands or it might be some sort of influence, you know? No, I, I, I've had this conversation with friends where like it takes, not everybody is like us where they dig, right? Like yeah. what, um, what influenced, you know, whatever band you maybe first get into music from, like mine was REM, right? 
like I mm-hmm. said, or even more so, I really dug in with Nirvana. Like I, REM, I didn't. I just loved REM. I didn't necessarily care about what their influences were. But by the time I got to Nirvana, I was like, well, what What are their influences? And that's how you hear, you know, go out and hear Bad Brains and Black Flag and Black Sabbath and, you know, the Beatles. Like that was what made me be like, oh, I, I really should like actually listen to the Beatles and not just think that they're just like, you know, for my parents. And not everybody does that. Like there's people who would be like, like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but yeah. like, and they won't like, like what it was directly influenced by. Yeah. Or I guess like up into modern things, it's like, like you were saying title fight. Yeah. And like there's like, kids that don't care about swerve driver. Yeah. Or whatever. Or, yeah. And that's, that's like someone I was on, uh, on a podcast recently. Someone was asking me about the new nothing record and I'm like, it's great, you know, but then, you know, the, the only, and it's like, I never had problem with like, like title fight doing it or nothing but it, it, it kind of irks me and it, it's not like nothing's fault that like people that like them end up not seeming to go back to swerve driver or ride or my bloody valentine whatever it is but you know so it's like i can't blame them but i'm also just like how can you like this without kind of realizing like what it came i agree from and the know? problem too is when bands do that when people that start bands and they don't look back it's often very watered down yeah because you're 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 seeing it through filtered through so many lenses but like thinking specifically on hardcore where where we're lucky is you know when i first got into hardcore arguably i was like 12 like i heard black flag my war but let's even, you know, even if it was 95, when I started hearing like Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits, hardcore wasn't that old. Like we didn't really have to go back too far because yeah. it's like, it was basically, all right, like these bands, like now's the nineties. And before this, we had Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits. And before that was Minor Threat. And then that was pretty much it, you know, Minor Threat and Bad Brains. Okay, cool. We're covered. Now, a kid getting into hardcore in 2020 or 2021, they got like over four decades worth of stuff to dig through. So on, on the other hand, I can't necessarily blame somebody for not, uh, you know, one of the phrases we always use on where, when do your homework. Cause it's like 40 years of musical research to dig back is a lot. Like is a kid getting into hardcore in 2020 listening to like, um, you know, Minor Threat, I think that's one that always, you know, the, the bigger acts, Gorilla Biscuits, Minor Threat. But is a kid getting into hardcore this year going to maybe dig back to like SSD? Maybe yeah. not. Yeah, know? I mean, I, I love SSD, but, you know, it's like I get it, you know. And so sometimes it's like if I feel like someone likes a certain band, I might be like, well, you might knowing that you like this current band, you might like like Turmoil. You know, it's like. I'm not going to go, you know, I want them to, but I'm also don't want to be the old guy. That's just like, if you don't like bad brains, fuck you. You know, it's like, cause it's like, it's still, it is silly. That's like 40 years ago to them. So, so I'm, I'm sympathetic to both things, but it's like, you know, even I guess using the American nightmare thing probably like puts an age on me, you know, it's like, what is that equivalent? Dude, that, I mean, that was you know? 20 years. Ago. Yeah. That's what's, that's like, what's wild. Yeah. One thing that puts it into perspective and I know Arthur did it on our podcast 
is like when you look back and then you go back from there. So like, for instance, like I got into hardcore, you know, let, let's, we'll just say even if it was 1995 when I was 14. And if you go back 40 years from then, right? So that'd be like us telling someone to listen to the SOA seven inch from yeah. like 1981 which was now 40 years ago, by the, by the time this airs, right, it's going to be 2021. So it's 40 <laughs> years. That would be like in 1995, someone telling me to listen to like the big bopper or something yeah. like from 1955. You're going to be like, no, why am I like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a tough sell. I think for a kid, like to go back and think 40 years in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't like know. Like 40 years before 1995, the Beatles didn't exist. Yeah, I still feel like there are, like I have friends that are in their early 20s that are, you know, it's like, I'll go to their house or whatnot. And they're listening to like Pink Floyd live videos on like YouTube. And I'm like, I, I mean, I feel like I was there when I was younger, but I'm like, what does this do for you? Like, you know, I, and there's even like, I don't know. There's like silly Facebook groups where people would be like, Oh, get your kid like a Nirvana record or something. I'm like, why, you know, if they like it, do it. But like, it makes sense to me. Like a kid would be in the juice world or like, you know, yeah. or like marshmallow more than like, they would like, like Nirvana. Nirvana. Like what, do you, why are we, why would you do that? If Dude, they Nirvana's like it, great. Old. That's awesome. But it's like, it's old people yeah. music. It's so I guess I'm sort years. of contradicting myself, but like, you know, but it's like, I don't, I don't begrudge someone kind of from where they start. I would even say like, if you, if your kid likes juice world, you know, what's kind of, you know, like my friend Scott, like his kid likes, uh, uh, ghost main and, you know, and so, but I'm like, you should see if you could sneak in like Wicca phase on him, you know, and eventually, you know, he might, you're not pushing him into liking, you know, title fight, but eventually if he keeps kind of, cause he's really interested in, you know, kind of more obscure kind of i mean obscure for like just a nine-year-old kid um i feel like ghost man's not like the biggest thing to yeah, you know no. you know uh they're big but in our world but like it's like you could probably sneak in wicca phase and from there he might you know like some that feel like that makes more sense than just like yeah it's like you're dropping uh like you said like big bopper or yeah know, or, like uh, fats well, domino hey like, listen know, to this fats domino record kids kids now and i hate saying that because it does make me sound old but like i'm gonna be 40 you know and in april um i don't know if they necessarily consume music like we do or did but it's also like i don't blame them because now they have everything at their fingertips and everything's in these like short bites like they'll maybe like something on tiktok like so like you know the skateboarding guy to fleetwood mac right like yeah. that song then ended up being like one of the most streamed songs of, of that month or whatever it was because people hear and go oh this is a cool song did a lot of kids then go and buy rumors no yeah. like i think kids they just digest things in songs like you know whereas for us like you said, it was like scouring the thanks list to find stuff and, you know, reading in zines. And uh, as much as getting old can suck, I'm like glad, like, I don't know if I would want to be, I don't know if I wouldn't have the same relationship with music that I have um, if I was a kid now. Like yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking about the Joshua Tree 
you know, 30, almost 35 years after it came out, a record that came out when I was only six years old. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I don't think that that would be a thing because you just wouldn't care. So yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that I came up when I did where like, I still want albums. Like I don't want just 30 second song bites and mix, you know, mixes like mixes are fine, but you know what I mean? Like, like I don't just want a Spotify playlist to be my like music knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I think like it's, it's almost like the world has gone back to, it almost feels like when bands, like when you like early, like Rolling Stone stories or just any time that I feel like 45s and whatnot were like kind of king more than albums at a certain point in like early rock and roll. So it's like people were probably used to just hearing like, you know, they'd hear a zombie song, but they didn't know what the band looked like, you know, or anything like it's like you only had short snippets. So we're almost like yeah, back no. to that and like a way before like really albums took over. Um, yeah, yeah, like the Beatles, I think, were one of, not saying that they were necessarily the first, but I think the Beatles and the Beach Boys were some of the first where it really, and not even their early albums, but like, you know, by the, like the Beatles, for instance, by the time of like Rubber Soul, like Rubber Soul was meant to be an album. Revolver was meant to be an album. The Beach Boys Pet Sounds uh, was meant to be like a full listening experience, not just like, oh, here's, you know, because a lot of times, yeah, back then albums were like the two radio songs and then a bunch of complete filler. Yeah. But I also think about too, because this is where I try and like give kids like benefit of the doubt or just like get them off the hook, you know, because it's, it, I, I feel like then I'm just like an old guy kind of saying like kids aren't the same. Yeah. Old but, man you know, yells but at I, cloud. <laughs> yeah. But I think about too, I'm like, um, and I feel like I mentioned it on this podcast, but you know, it's like when one of my friends bought a record, essentially everyone in our friend group had that record. So I think about the idea where people are like, people don't buy music anymore. And it's like, I don't, I barely bought music when I was a kid. Cause I was poor, you know, it's like, you know, it's like if, if we, if someone bought a mustard plug CD or I think I did, and then all my friends had it, you know, right. it's like, you, you know, it's like, like I made an operation Ivy tape or no effects tape for my friends. And then they would give me, whatever in return and so when people were like well spotify is killing music i don't disagree but you know it's like i was you know i mean they thought home taping was going to destroy exactly music. yeah you know the dead kennedys had the whole home taping is destroying music and they left the the b side of the tape blank to like tape stuff or whatever yeah. um yeah i agree like there's so many records where i didn't end up buying them myself until i lived on my own and maybe grew apart from people because you just had copies of it or like you know you had borrowed your friend's cd which you know see because that was my main way of, of music back then was cds and yeah. um there's stuff there's stuff that i have owned in so many formats and didn't get on vinyl until like recently but yeah. like i've listened to more than anything in my life like I just recently got a copy of, as in like literally the last week, I got Minor Threat, the two seven inches on the 12 inch, the blue one. Yeah. Like that just came out this year. I didn't even own that on vinyl. Yeah, I don't, I had, I don't own it. I had the CD, that. you know, the discography when from when I was 13. 
and then, you know, just had the files on my computer or phone. And I was like, I probably should own, <laughs> should own this. Yeah. But like, and that, that's one of my most listened to pieces of music out of any piece of music. Um, and I think that's like sort of like what we're at too with like the Spotify is like, yeah, there's going to be people who use Spotify and they don't buy the records. I'm not one of those people. Do I buy every record that I stream on, on Spotify? No. Like there's records where I'll be like, this is one of the best records of the year. And for whatever reason, I don't buy the vinyl. Like, you know, I, I really like, um, you know, like you mentioned Carly Rae Jepsen. I liked her last album. I don't own it on vinyl, but I just, yeah. I streamed it or like, um, you know, uh, Billie Eilish. Like I really liked her album, but I don't own the record, but then other stuff, like I went and I made sure to, to buy, you know, like, cause I was like, Oh, this, this rules, I'm going to buy it. Usually it would be the smaller stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes though, because I'm spending so much time buying, uh, I don't know, my friends bands or even like smaller band stuff. Like I realized recently, and I'm thinking about it now because where it went posted about it. Um, like all the Fugazi records, like I don't own, I think, I don't know if I own any Fugazi records, but I know so well their whole discography, but it's like, it's been so much in my life that I almost forget that I don't have it. It's like, I had it on CD at some point. I had burned versions and I had like, you know, uh, like the first record, but then I'm like, wait, I don't actually own this on vinyl. That's like a weird thing to think about, you know? It is like, yeah, yeah. like I love, I love The Cure like disintegration was i think the other album i pitched to you for like yeah. hey maybe i'll do this i don't own a cure record i don't either I and like <laughs> i love them because for me it's for me part of that though is because of my addictive personality like i would have to own them all and that's a big rabbit hole to go down so i'm not really <laughs> i'm not really ready for that yet so i kind of just like stay away like i had them all on cd like my own purchase CD, the Fugazi, actually that collection was my, that's all my stuff. I have all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, I love guided by voices, but I would bankrupt my family if I did that. To yeah. Them. I have so a friend. I only have like three guided by voices records. Cause it's just, they have 30 records, not including even the EPs that you could get. I have a friend uh, who they're like one of his favorite bands and he has, I think, I forget when he last told me, but he's got to have, I think at least a hundred like Robert Pollard related yeah. uh, LPs. And that's also same thing. Like that's just a rabbit hole that I can't um, go down. That's a room to itself. Yeah. Like, like, and, yeah. and I think they're cool. Like what I, everything I've heard of them, I'm like, this is a good band, but it's almost like it's so overwhelming. Now, if you already own all the stuff, it's got to be so awesome being a fan and being like, dude, I'm getting three guided by voices, new records this year. Like, that's cool. Like, you know, like instead of having to wait three years for a new album, like be like, Oh, well I'm getting a new guided by voices album in February and May and November or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm not sure that they're still doing this, but I, I remember they had almost like a record club where it's like you give them a, and they will just kind of send you every, Robert Pollard record. This was probably a few years ago, kind of near when they kind of came back. They always like break up and come back. Uh, but he was getting like just so many like the EPs, any of the other titles, 
you just like pay a monthly fee, you know, yeah. a yearly fee, and then and not get, have to worry about it. Yeah, it's that's what's great though about yeah. the Fugazi stuff is that it's cheap. Yeah. So like, and it you, stopped at a point. <laughs> yeah. So like, you can you can get uh, you can get it still. Like I I never owned instrument soundtrack. Yeah. So that was the one that I just got recently when I ordered the minor thread. I was like, oh. I, I don't own instrument. I, I never really was, you know, cause it's, to me, it's not an essential release. I had all the albums and like, they're one of the only places still selling vinyl for under 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, it's like because of streaming, like I don't listen to a lot of my old CDs or I don't know where they are in my house, but I, I love a lot of like death metal grind and even like power violence stuff. But because of what era I was liking a lot of stuff, CDs to me. So even the thought of owning it on vinyl is weird to me because I'm so used to it being, and I also feel like a lot of like metal, death metal specifically, honestly sounds the best on CD to me. Metal yeah. metal kind of kept CDs alive. Like I yeah. feel like a lot of people that that like are really into metal buy the stuff on CD. And, and that's a good point. Like there's so many things where I'm like, where I, I I don't own on vinyl, like The Cure, like I said, but also like Jimmy Eat World, like uh, they were always a CD. Like I had all the CDs. Like I Same. can't necessarily fathom having like, you know, them. Yeah, on I think my wife had like almost like she might own like newer Jimmy Eat World stuff, but I don't for as much of a Jimmy Eat World fan as she is, like she's gone to so many of the tours. We don't have a lot of their vinyl because, you know, I think that early relationship was CDs. So it's kind of like, you you know, you only, <laughs> we're saying we only have so much money. Um, but, you know, it, it makes me even think like we're, I guess I'm doing the radio reset back to you too. But when I think about like, uh, I had a friend that's, that was saying like, why does Rolling Stone still put out records? Like, what's the point? You know, and it's like, well, I guess even if it's as sad as like, they put out a new record, even like a blues covers record, so they can kind of have an excuse to go back on tour like the Pixies did, you know? But I'm like, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because if you do go see them on tour, I bet it's like U2 and Metallica or whatever kind of legacy act that we want to put it, you know, Rolling Stones are going to play the songs you love, you know? they, You know, every once in a while they may throw in like, you know, Aerosmith might play Honkin' on Bobo or something, you know, you know, something from that. But it's like, if you liked Aerosmith, even they're going to play all the songs you like at this point, you know, like they know what the hits are. So you're going to get it, you know? So it's like, so if, if you two needs to put out a new record so that I could one day go see them, I may not connect with the new record. And that doesn't mean it's not trash, but it, that doesn't, my point of that long spiel is it does for me it doesn't take away from the era that i love of them right it's just yeah. it, i mean really it depends on the band how the new material factors in there's some bands where they put out a new album and you go to see them and if you don't like the album you're going to be bummed because they're going to play seven of the 12 tracks and cut out you know the more because obviously there's only so much time for a set yeah now a band like U2, you're going to see them. They probably play two and a half hours. You don't have to worry so much. You're going to get it all. <laughs> but like bands that headline and maybe play an hour, yeah, the more that the more albums they put out, the less chance you're going to have to hear the songs if you only like the old stuff. You know, like 
you know, the Goo Goo Dolls, we talked about them. Like every time they put out an album, they're cutting older songs. Like you go to see them now, you're lucky if you're going to get one song from like Superstar Car Wash. That's like the oldest they go back to. Whereas if you saw them in 1995, Superstar Car Wash was like two years old. They were playing probably half of that record. So yeah. that's when it gets a bummer. But yeah, these bigger acts, like they know what's up. Although I will say you too, when they did the Songs of Experience tour, they stood behind that record and they did play a lot off it. I love the record, so I wasn't upset, but I could see how someone expecting like a greatest, a greatest hit set would go and be a little bummed because they played, you know, six or seven tracks off of the new album. Yeah. But the, yeah, they're going to give you, I feel like U2 is like a different thing where even like Metallica, it's like they're allowed to sort of play for three hours. Bruce Springsteen being kind of the same goes into like five hour long concerts. You're going to get it all. You know, um, but yeah, with that's funny. That that also gets me to not go see these kind of acts because it's kind of like I want my same, I want my relationship with these bands. I don't really want to know. I don't need to have a modern relationship with Goo Goo Dolls because I feel like I'm gonna be kind of not into it. You know, I don't want to disparage like whatever sound they're going for now. Um, you know, but it's like, I know what era of Goo Goo Dolls I love, you know? And I think you right. even like the, a lot of the newer stuff too, so. Yeah, I mean, do I do I connect with it on the same way that I connect with like Hold Me Up or, you know, Superstar Car Wash or Boy Named Goo? No, but I think they still, I do think they still write good songs. And my take was, well, if I'm going to go see them, I don't want to be completely bored, like, and not know the stuff, so I may as well. And like I said, I liked their newest record. Um, does it sound like the Metal Blade years? No, absolutely not. Like it's just, you know, super produced pop rock songs, you know. But at the same time, if you have that guy sing on them and you like his voice, you know, why wouldn't you like the the stuff? But, you know, then there's other stuff like Metallica. Like if I go to see Metallica, like I don't want to hear stuff from Load or Reload, even though there was a couple songs yeah, on there yeah. that were whatever. Like I don't want to hear stuff from Sane Anger um, or even the newer ones that are decent albums. Like I thought that Death Magnetic and the Hardwired had cool stuff, but like I want to hear the first four albums. Yeah. Yeah. And we we uh, played a show with a Spoon a few years ago and um i i feel like there's an era spoon that i really liked and so when we played with them i was like i don't know any of these songs and it wasn't you know it's not like they were bad or anything but it was like you kind of get really into like a specific era of a band and then like if you see them you're like oh they continued living you know <laughs> yeah continue creating new music and i'm the one frozen in amber and i want them to be frozen in amber you know it's uh, tough and as people yeah. that played in bands I've never been in a band that lasted that long. Like three years was like the longest yeah. um, amount of time. But even in that time, it's like you want to keep creating. So like I find that oftentimes the people that are the harshest critics and, you know, I've gotten in arguments with people about this, but the people that are harshest critics about bands that change their sound have never played in a band. Yeah. Um, and don't understand that like you get you get bored 
you don't necessarily want to do the same style. Not everybody can be ACDC. Yeah. And um, ACDC are like the exception to the rule. Like the new ACDC album that came out this year yeah. is good. Yeah. And it's well, them yeah. doing the same, you know, kind of stuff, but not everybody can do that. Yeah. One of my friends put it in their top 10 for the year. And I was slightly surprised, but not really because they've been consistently putting out the same-ish album to good results. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, if you like that, if that's the flavor you want to eat, then you're, you know, they keep delivering that. Well, it was like, I think, was it Hatebreed or something? At least when they first started, maybe the first couple records, Jamie Josta and I'm paraphrasing, he said something like, we want to be like your favorite restaurant. Like we want to be like, like McDonald's where like you get a quarter pounder um, or a Big Mac at McDonald's in, you know, Philadelphia. And then you travel down to, uh, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina and you yeah. get a Big Mac. It's going to be the same. It's consistent. Um, so that was like, that's kind of their thing and that i think that's acdc is like we're we're we have a formula it works we're gonna stick to it and that's cool but then you have a band like you two who had so much of an evolution but if you listen to it all chronologically it actually does make sense yeah um but when you pick it apart in these pieces maybe it doesn't and and even metallica their evolution for the most part i don't know what the fuck they were thinking with sane anger um but like it makes sense doesn't mean i have to be on board with it but like if you listen to the black album load wasn't a huge surprise it's a huge surprise if you went from kill them all to to that you know yeah. Or like even like look at like Radiohead or any of these bands that have been around a long time. You get bored and you try things, and sometimes it really works, um, and people are receptive to it. And other times, they're not. And that's just as a musician, that's a risk you have to take. Like, are people going to be along for the ride, or are they not? Like we mentioned, Title Fight, and one of the things I loved about Title Fight is <clears throat> their fan base grew with them like they had this unique position of since maybe since they were so young so the kids that were young they're into like the pop punky stuff and then as it progressed it was at the same like rate as their fans were probably musically progressing so it worked out nicely for them where they were along for the whole ride where they yeah. liked you know the first seven inch or whatever the split with erection kids but they also like Hyperview because, you know, by the time of Hyperview, they're 10 years older than they were when the, when that record came out. So, well, yeah. Now, one thing that's weird about that is like, um, and I, I wonder if it's like my friend group, but when I think about like Hyperview, I don't necessarily remember. I mean, I don't remember a lot of people that I knew are around the time. I feel like it wasn't as well received as people think back now. You know, like, I, I feel like I remember a lot of haters on Hyperview, but then now when I see in 2020, I guess five years from, you know, it's, that's the record I think younger people want. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you remember that being the case or? With Hyperview, I just remember I was so on board with Title Fight that I wouldn't 
whatever You're anybody else yeah. said didn't affect me and i was so happy with that album and, and still am um so like but i get what you mean like i <clears throat> i think that they and and look they probably lost fans after floral green but like when when hyperview came out because mm-hmm. i think maybe people were like they wanted another floral green because that took shed which is also fucking great like yeah i love shed. that that took shed to the next like it they it was like a logical move but to me every their progression also was very uh made sense yeah i want to i think also think about like ceremony l-shaped man like i feel like i remember there being uh, a lot of haters around that time and that i feel like that was their record that they tried kind of yes. really went outside you know even the record uh zoo before like i you know i was like this kind of sounds like almost like california punk record in like a circle jerksy kind of vein but its own thing you know and uh but then l-shaped man was like such a big push i remember feeling like they had a lot of haters at that time you know um you know around that era like you know it's like you see kind of bands that kind of take like a big swing and kind of build their sound you know i guess like one of the things i'm kind of like uh you specifically that i think about i've as long as i've known you you know even like with when my label was putting out the easy creature stuff like the way you express things online i've always liked that you seem really open-minded about a lot of different music uh but you still are like a hardcore kid you know um but you're you're not like scared to say that you like like i don't know well i'll say like bush i don't even know if you like bush but you know like you're not scared (laughs) yeah they're all all right yeah you're not scared i didn't like them at the time though that was was funny uh now i'm like oh they're pretty cool yeah i feel like you're not scared to say you like like you know uh REM seems silly because I feel like everyone. Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae Jepsen, yeah. Uh, Things like that. Or even like, I feel like sometimes people do kind of like go like, what do you, you know, when I tell people like, I I think U2 is really good, you know, hardcore types or punk types are like, you know, whatever, grandpa, you know, like it's like, you know, and so it's like, I like that you, you seem so like open-minded about so much other things when I feel like some people aren't always apt to admit certain things they like well i I forget who it was said there's two types of music there's good music and bad music yeah music's subjective like you know if if you hear something that's good like i don't care like i'll like i can hear a pop song and be like this is a good song because really deep down i have a pop you know friends are always joking like i like pop music like i have a soft spot for that not necessarily like i said like I don't know, K-pop or like a Justin Bieber. But like, like I said, like if it's like hooky and catchy um, and well-written, I'll I'll get behind it. Do I have the same passion for Carly Rae Jepsen that I have for like Husker Du? Absolutely not. Like, but can I put on the Carly Rae Jepsen album when I'm, you know, working or, or driving around in the car yeah totally but yeah, i'm not even, gonna yeah even sometimes like i don't know even like power violence sometimes like almost accidentally like has like pop formulas in a way that they're not even realizing it seems silly to mention but it's like you know i don't know like breakdowns or just like repeating parts and stuff you know something that kind of draws you in it's like a lot of times people write catchy punk songs or hardcore songs without 
having to adhere to like a verse chorus thing, but they're still just accidentally doing it. You know, like, I, I guess I'm saying that to say, like, I agree with you. Like, I find myself drawn to like a hook, even if it's like an accidental right. hook, like, you know, lungfish doing a repeating line for a whole song or, you know, like noise rock, you know, it's like a lot of times that stuff's like accidentally catchy, you know, and I find myself kind of like drawn to that you know right or like who's do that we mentioned earlier yeah. like they're even their earliest stuff uh you know even on land speed record there was this like undercurrent this this me- melodic you know catchiness to it i mean nirvana the most abrasive stuff still had this like verse course i mean they made a joke about it they made a song called that verse chorus verse um i've just always liked that i can't stuff that's too crazy and abstract and doesn't have hooks usually doesn't isn't my cup of tea yeah i find sometimes it's like you know and i like a lot of jazz and i think like even like a lot of hard bop or bebop jazz uh, i guess even more into the atonal kind of jazz like ends up having like you know catchy things without you know because they're always playing around you know, a melodic line. So they do it even there. But yeah, sometimes when it gets into a certain free jazz, it's like, you know, or even things that aren't free jazz, it's just atonal kind of things or things that aren't like just push against being catchy in any sort of way. I'm even like, you know, I'm like, I wish, you know, I want to, you know, I I find myself being so like pop brain to like, give me the hook, you know, even even with hardcore, like, why do you think, why do you think Uniform Choice and Minor Threat and Youth of Today and all these bands? Because they actually had hooks. They had stuff that, you know, you remember in catchy parts. If it didn't, we wouldn't be talking about them. Like, yeah. you know, do they have hooks to like your average person? Like, am I going to be able to play, um, you know, Screaming for Change for someone that's never heard punk rock or hardcore and be like, oh, you like, a, you know, I don't even know whatever's hooky and pop. Yeah. Like I guess like this, mentioned, like, yeah. Like mentioning yeah. circle jerks again, like I just want some skank is really catchy line. Right. <laughs> it's like, that doesn't seem like something, you know, you would show, you know, but yeah, there's tons of times where punk stuff is, you know, accidentally catchy. And that's what I'm drawn to <laughs> that hook. Absolutely. Even if it's, I just want some skank. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think people would uh, probably want to know, like, I guess, where can they keep up with everything, you know, Greg Pollard? Yeah. So I have two podcasts, uh, Where It Went, uh, which I know we mentioned a couple times, and that's where we are. We're going through me and two of my buddies, uh, Javier Van Hus, who uh, does Contraband Goods. Uh, he did play in 18 Visions for a little bit back in the day. I did, uh, yeah, I actually didn't know that. Sorry to cut you off. Um, yeah, I always kind of wonder where people, but sometimes people just don't, they almost think it's so common knowledge that, you know, like they don't kind of mention it because it's probably silly to, but I didn't realize that Javier was in 18 Visions. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, he was, he was in for like, I want to say like the first three years, like he was on a few records and um I think mainly he doesn't bring it up because it's, it's so long ago. And like, I think there was some, uh, 
you know, personal reasons not to bring it up. And well, if he was in the early years and, you know, like definitely was off by the time like Vanity came out. Like, yeah, he I, was not you know, on Vanity. I, yeah. I think too, it's like- That's a totally different band almost. People, yeah. people use it as like an attack against him. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm like, dude, that band was fucking huge. Like whether or not you like them, like they were big. Like, like you do a band that's as big as 18 Visions then. Yeah. You know, they so were a formative like, metalcore band for me, like- you know, I think I got I got into them like right before they really went like the rock thing. Uh, but, you know, them and like early Throwdown and all that stuff. Were... He played in Throwdown, too, for <laughs> for a minute, I think. Yeah. Uh, but like so, you know, I, like I wanted to do the podcast with somebody who didn't think just like me, because to me, that's boring. Yeah. Like and, and people ha- took, um, I think, some. Uh, umbrage would that be the right word against that like what are you doing a podcast with a guy who doesn't like breakdown it's like well not everybody likes the same things so like why wouldn't i and then now we added uh we have jason mazzola from you know cloak dagger and count me out so the three of us do that where it went where we go through the entire revelation records catalog um and it's it's interview based um, you know, it wasn't at first, but we ended up realizing that that's where we're going to get the best information is talking to people who were a part of these records. So that's been a huge part of my time. And then another friend of mine, uh, Jude Miller, we do a podcast called something to do where we go through the Husker do and replacements and all the adjacent catalog. And that's done in a nonlinear fashion. We just kind of randomly pick like, Hey, this time we're going to talk about, you know, uh, Zen Arcade, which we haven't done our Zen Arcade episode yet, but you know we do that, and that's super fun because that's that's more laid back because it's just me and him. Like we'll have interviews occasionally, um, and uh, let's see what else. Um, I played in a band in the mid two thousands, a hardcore band called One Up, and uh, a label called Hell Minded Records. It's an awesome label. They put out uh, New Shades Apart album. They're doing the No Escape reissue, uh, Cross Keys, School Drugs, Second Arrows. Like he's got a bunch of cool stuff in the in the uh, already out. Jay from Turning Points, new band Honey is going to be on there. Uh, they're doing a discography for us, a vinyl discography. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm excited about that. So that would be at One Up uh, HC on Instagram. I guess I should have probably said the social medias of where it went is yeah. at where it went podcast and something to do is at something, no G at the end to do D U podcast. And then finally just at Greg Polard is my normal, you know, record posts and yeah. occasional kid pictures and goofy shit. And uh, that's about it. So yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to doing the discography and if shows happen, you know, we already said we play some gigs to, uh you know help push the record and other than that that's it yeah 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 i'm glad that there's like there's like types of labels that are able to kind of catalog things that kind of happen that you know you know i i you know i don't want to speak out of turn but you know it seems like uh like one up wasn't like you know obviously like bane level band you know no absolutely not and i don't think i'm speaking out of turn at all but you know it's it's uh it's great that someone's able to kind of catalog that because i think that's like what's really cool about you know us being involved in like punk and hardcore even to an adjacent level i feel like with me is just uh 
you know, kind of like just, it's almost just like history. And I'm glad that there's like a market for that. You know, it's like shades apart. And like you were saying, uh, other things that are, and he's got new, that. yeah, he's yeah. got new, new bands, bands too, too, but you know, even new bands that are kind of tied to like, a. I guess we'll say historical lineage with uh, turning point and whatnot. Right. And so like it's good that it can be current and yeah, cross keys being a good example as well, I guess with the, the kid dynamite connection with them. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I think really, it's cool like to document. It. And I'm, I'm super stoked that Joe at hell minded, who's a friend, um, you know, was willing to do this because it was something I always wanted to have done. Like just for selfish re- I was like, I would love to have all this music on a 12 inch and, we, we did the time and it will like just fit on a 12 inch. Like it's like 47 minutes of music. So yeah. it's like, uh, I don't know what the ideal is. Like I know like 50 minutes is pushing it. So like yeah. 47 minutes is like pretty good for an LP. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I, I look at it as like not putting us on the same level, but like, like how Discord will put out these archival releases of like the early acts. Like, you know, they put out like, artificial piece 1981 yeah. demo and like our artificial piece talked about in the same way that minor threat uh is talked about no but like they're an important part of the puzzle of that era so like to me that's kind of how i feel about one up is like were we bane or were we even mental or the first step absolutely not those bands all were much more popular and and talked about but like not to toot my horn but i feel like we did have some little place and it's kind of cool that this will um you know give us the opportunity to showcase that yeah yeah i mean i i mean i guess i'll just keep kind of repeating myself i you know i i think it's great that you know those kind of things get to come into just are made you know uh because the bands like one up need to be remembered you know um I mean, because I, I even look at some of the one-up flyers that I guess you've shared and like the bands you either open for or, you know, kind of open for you at the point, you know, just yeah, like, show, we had or, like, like you know, you were, Cold yeah. World opening for, yeah. well, maybe not opening black, <laughs> they might be bad examples, but like yeah. have heart, like we did like a leg of a tour with have heart and now, you know, have heart have played arguably the biggest hardcore show of all time you know what i mean like that's crazy and it's it's cool to know that like we had that we had a piece like i said of of that whole era yeah i mean that's exactly i think what the words was. you know we're like cataloging uh i guess hell mind is cataloging a you know piece of kind of pennsylvania new jersey hardcore that you know needs to be cataloged and it's the kind of thing where it's like for people like us that want to dig that might be a cool new discovery for someone. Oh man, exactly. I, I dug back and I got into blacklisted and mental and cold world and first step and Bane and, you know, American nightmare and all these other bands of that era. But like, Oh, now I found this other band that was around that time that played with them. And this is cool. Like, you know, and I think these discography type things can give a second life. Like, I mean, not that we're on the same level as turning point, but I think people forget that before the Turning Point discography, Turning Point was like a not a top tier band of that era. Like you wouldn't hear them mentioned in the same breath as a Judge or a Gorilla Biscuits, and now you do because that that Jade Tree discography from two thousand 
gave them a second life. Now they're getting a third life with their revelation and they're a great fucking band and they should be mentioned in the same breath as all those. And they weren't not saying that's going to happen with one up where people are going to be like, they're just as good as Bane. Cause we're not like, I'll say that. Like (laughs) we're not, we were not as good as have. There's a reason that have heart were huge and we weren't, they're fucking a better band. They wrote better songs, but that doesn't mean that we, you know, can't at least maybe have a little uh, part in the story. Yeah. Even when I think about like, uh, and now it's become the hardcore discography podcast. But uh, when I think about even like, I, I love that the mouthpiece discography exists, you know, and I love that the instead discography LP, uh, you know, got right. put out, you know, it's insight, like, just, they yeah, just insight, did the insight and that kind gave of thing, them a new life you know? too. And it's like, it's, I think it's good. Like, it's like, even like bands that I think about, like, you know, like Outbreak, it's like, I wish someone would do an Outbreak discography. And I know they run their own label that could do that. But it's like, it's, I think it's a bummer sometimes when these bands that were really pivotal, pivotal potentially to like a regional scene or as a whole, almost get forgotten because it's just not like cataloged in the same way, even on a bigger sense, like, no one's kind of curating like seaweeds legacy you know like and if they were i feel like they were a band that people would remember more so kind of taking yeah, it back agree. to like one up you know it's like if it's curated at least it gives people the entrance to discover it if they're if they want to <laughs> because if they no want shot. to it's there if it's not yeah. curated yeah and i mean that's the thing i think finally al Barreal's noticing with ssd and he's trying to get that going because it's like eventually as time moves on this stuff gets lost to time because it's not you know you can still buy minor threat records you can still buy now uniform choice records because you know southern lord did their reissue of scream for change but you you can't yeah or like the brotherhood record stuff like yeah yeah. that exists because of southern lord you know you can't buy ssd right now like you can't go and buy a reissue of get it away and we need how we rock we need yeah. that to be repressed. That you can buy on Discogs for like $5. I'm, maybe but, I'll do it after I'm done with this, even though I but, do not need to own it. Yeah. I. Uh, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like that's, yes. if it's not out there, there's no chance. And I think in the earlier days, like 25 years ago, it wasn't as big of a deal that it was out of print because it was still fresh in people's consciousness. But now 40 years on, like I think he's realizing like, yo, if, if I don't press these SSD records... And then I, you know, when I pass on, they're going to be gone. Like, yeah, like, you know, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, important. I hope someone curates you too, because I think it might get lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think but, so too. They might but be, yeah. Radar, but. but I appreciate you taking the time and going on, you know, the weird tangents. Uh, if anyone from YouTube is listening, I hope that you check out One Up's discography LP. You know, <laughs> sorry, and we then, didn't talk about you the whole time, but I think enough. And give us free tickets. Please do. We show. are big fans. Uh, yeah. Whenever shows happen again, I'll stand six feet away from somebody if I have to for a free Same. YouTube ticket. Same. Yeah. So thanks, Greg. Thanks for talking. Thank you. Are you stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out or you don't want to support big box stores? Go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup, but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy.
Welcome back. Thanks again to Greg Pollard. By the way, Greg's old band One Up have a discography record coming out this year on Hell Minded Records. So definitely check that out. Next week, we're chatting with Michael Bingham of Spiritual Cramp. Michael also spent time in the band Creative Adult and now plays in Spice. Yip, yip, indeed. Okay, so we're talking about Dead Kennedy's 1980 album, Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables. We're both big fans of this album. I do have to note that we recorded this episode a little before the January 6th Capitol storming, so we make no reference to that, you know, in any other up-to-minute political events. Also, because of that, we didn't mention the embarrassing tweet celebrating Mitt Romney that Dead Kennedy shot out following everything. Just to note, Jello Biafra left Dead Kennedys in 1986, and the band returned with different singers in 2001 to, you know, the present. More on this next week. You know, bands get cringy sometimes when they get old. Well, once again, check out our Patreon, and next week's episode is usually already up there. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for producing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. On that note, hit the theme!